Welcome back. This is the 14th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. My guest this time around is Sebastian Milliard, a producer and performer based in Sweden, who joins me today to talk about the art of live performance and his new project, Circle of Live. Although he was first trained as a classical musician, Sebastian quickly became engrossed in techno, which eventually led him to the work he's perhaps best known for, a live duo with Marcus Henriksen called Minilog. After the duo retired a few years ago, Sebastian continued recording and performing solo under the moniker Wowoo Wee before launching Circle of Live, a new project inspired by his love of improvisation, jam sessions, and creative collaboration. In October, I had the pleasure of attending Circle of Live's inaugural performance in Malmo, Sweden, before visiting Sebastian's studio in the forest where this interview took place. Thank you so much for joining me and for hosting me here in Sweden. You're welcome. It's beautiful to have you here. (laughs) So we're going to talk a bit about live performance today. Do you remember the first live performance you ever attended as a child? And can you tell me a bit about that experience? Close to the village where I grew up, there was an artist collective kind of, or a few families that moved out to the countryside, very 60s, 70s in Sweden. And every year they had a, a great big party uh, with a lot of kind of uh, 70s uh, rock improvisation and jamming. Uh, so I think that's because my, I, I grew up very remote. So I was not really in a city in an urban place. So I'm, I didn't go to regular to concerts and things with my parents. But in the summer at this party every year, there was a lot of people jamming and, and playing live music. Um, and I think maybe a couple of times I went to a concert in the concert house. I think it was with my music school. But I don't really have strong memories from that, actually. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so when you think back on those sort of early experiences, do you remember the type of music that was playing? Like for me, when I think back on my earliest live performance experiences as a kid, I don't really remember the music. I remember everything else, like uh, who I was with or what the concert venue was like, but not really the music itself. No, that no, that could be that. <laughs> My my father was very much into music. It was really a big part of his his life, and was very yeah. He was very affected by music, and he he had uh, uh, he did retreats at the place where we uh, grew up uh, with his university students. He was a teacher at the university in psychology, and he called it uh, the course was called creative psychology. And music and visuals was a big part of that course, uh, combined with meditation and other things. Uh, and my father's approach to music was that it was really not a background thing. So we we didn't really have background music when I grew up, but we listened often to music. But then it was hundred percent full focus, putting active wo- listening. Yeah. So I put one album with Pink Floyd, <laughs> listen from the start till the end, 
so I feel these moments were the first strong kind of uh, experiences for me uh, with music. Uh, but it was not in a sense live performances. Mm-hmm. But like you say, when, when I went to this this big kind of uh, alternative, wonderful party in the summer every year, it was more about meeting all these kids and playing around and see people, you know. I, I don't remember the music so much, actually. Uh, I have much more memories of listening to these records that my father played. So I read that one of your other early formative musical experiences was with an electric organ. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that hearing it played live or was it a moment where you played it or can you tell me a bit about that? Now we had, like my, like I said, my father were really into music and I think he had a strong ambition for us to be able to try to play music, me and my siblings. Uh, he had loads of synthesizers and a modular system and stuff that he rarely touched, but we had a big like Yamaha electric organ in the middle of the house. Uh, and from quite an early age, I, I had lessons every week, and my siblings as well. So we went and played electric or- <laughs> organ. I think I started when I was seven, maybe, or eight, or something like that. Uh, but before that, I, and this I have very strong memories from, I was, like when my father was sitting and working, I had like sessions. I was like four or five years old, and I just played on the electric uh, organ, and I was like, I remember I told my father that, okay, now, it's going to be the jungle. So then I played the jungle for one hour, and then it was something else. Um, and that was really jamming. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was in the true sense just for me as a child to have a kind of a feeling of something mm-hmm. or a, a, a thought about something and then give it life through the, the music. Mm. And what was your dad doing? He probably prepared lessons for the university <laughs> or uh, correcting, you know, uh, uh, essays or I don't know. what. Not he, jamming with you then, just listening? No, he, uh, like I said, he loved music and I think he had an, uh, an, an wanting to create music that he bought all these synthesizers and drum machines that I know how. Um, but he never really... St- I don't think he got the time, you know, mm. you're a professor at a university, you have six kids, yeah. you do <laughs> retreats. And so I think he kind of put a seed that I maybe continued mm. and I'm very thankful for that. What was the difference between those two experiences for you as a young person? One where you heard music being played at a concert and one where you actually created music yourself? I don't really think I felt a difference. Not what I can recall. I, I think, in a way, and I, I, I still, that's kind of been a strong feeling I had through my whole music, musical career or expressing music, that I don't see such a big difference. Or in the essence, I don't see any difference of playing music or, or uh, listening to it or moving to it. I think it's all about, you know, if you're present and and you listen and, you know, an experience take form in you. And I think that's the true creative process of, of any art or music. And then it's not one that is more important than another one. There is just presence and experience. So which one would you say was the catalyst for your career as a musician? I, I would assume 
playing playing music made you want to play music as a career? Yeah, from the beginning, I was. I knew a, f a few moments where I really felt like, wow, you know, when suddenly as a child you get this vision, like, oh, this I want to do. Yeah. And uh, I, I was in, in Sweden. We have a very, uh, yeah, very good music school. I would say uh, so. A lot of, of kids get a chance to try out the instruments. Um, and normally, a lot of the, the music school differs from town to town. Um, but a lot of the school also have kind of for the students that wants to do more or have an ambition to maybe continue and work as musicians, that kind of a selection of few slots for, actual, for, for, for getting more music education. Uh, so I went into that. I, first I started with uh, the violin after the electric organ and then I, I felt like, wow, I love this and I applied for this program for people with a bit uh, higher ambition to work with music and I, I got into that and then you had like your first instrument twice a week, uh, second instrument once a week, um, voice training once a week, uh, composition once a week and um, uh, yeah it was loads of different things so it was more like going to kind of music high school kind mm -hmm. of thing but f I think I was 12 when that started. So I had that for six years uh, after school. So it was kind of an extension of the normal school. Uh, and I remember one time when we had the composition uh, lessons, I, I like saw this, wow, you know, you're able to sit here and plan what people are going to play and something can take form. And I remember I had this really strong, like, oh, I want to do this. <laughs> and I even told my... I remember I told my, it was my first violin teacher, she was really amazing, uh, and I told her that, wow, I, I will make a concert one, uh, you know, I, I will write, a, compose a concert. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I sometimes think about it and it comes back like, yeah, I'm not exactly doing that, mm -hmm. but somehow... Sort of similar. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, sometimes I think this really strong, <sighs> and you have a vision, you should not cling to that specific vision, you know, it it might turn out in a complete different way, but it still is an expression of that vision or strong feeling that you had. And I think I was like 12 or 13 at that point. I saw myself working with music, but then it took so many different turns. Uh, when I started high school, I started in a pop band playing the violin, and we were really dedicated, like... We, we were going to be pop stars. <laughs> now, but we rehearsal like many days a week. We're, the, the other people in the band were much older than me. Not much, but like three, four. So they already started university and had... What a, was it called, the band? D-I-M, DIM. We did quite a few demos and <laughs> some labels wanted to release it. And we had a lot of gigs around Sweden at festivals. Uh, and I also... At that was a lot, actually... We in the end when we had concert it was planned things that I played but during the rehearsal we it was a little bit kind of an improvisation letting kind of we were just jamming around and then when we found something wow this is cool we kind of captured that and based it and, and made a song around it um, but I think that then I was in high school and that was when my idea about working about with classical music 
kind of got secondary and I, I kind of taste how it is to write your own music really and and not to play other people's music or sitting at a symphony orchestra and, and play all the sheet music. Do you say sheet music? Sheet music. Sheet, yeah. Uh, so my training with the violin kind of decreased a bit and, uh, and like the classical more hardcore training you know hours a day with a band it was more it was more relaxed in a way you know jamming and loads of effect pedals and playing around and but i really felt that it was something beautiful of just doing whatever you wanted mm-hmm. not have any rule book in a sense and during that high school time i also got in touch with the first techno parties and at that time i, I really really loved to dance and I felt so strongly about the whole scene uh, but I still saw myself as you know playing violin on a band and but it was one time when a friend of me who did partist asked me like can you take the violin to the chill out stage maybe and just improvise yeah uh, because I had you know all delays and reverbs and I so yeah I can do that uh, and then I asked another friend who had a little sampler and a little drum machine, and we had a little concert with just you know, a few drums and my violin on top, mm. and that's where the starting point of the whole electronic journey. Right, and so can you talk a bit about those experiences of sort of performing on stage, whether that was in uh, an orchestra, your classical training, or in your pop band? Um, what were you feeling when you were on stage, or what did those experiences give you? I think it's a lot of different feelings. Very hard I'd, to say that like one thing would be the one and only would not be true. I think. I, I think I, you know, to big part is to to create something and show it and and let someone else invite someone else to that experience. I think when I try to recall it, that's probably naturally was a part of it, but I don't think I defined it when I was young. Uh, you know, I was not that philosophic about, uh, like, why do I do this, for example. Mm. I think that comes a little bit, that perspective and that approach comes when you get older, maybe. Um, but to to explore something and invite someone else to take part of that explore, exploring was probably part of it. Um, but then I think also part of it can be like, wow, I do something and to see that other people appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure that was also part of it and kind of a sense like, you know, you practice and you do things and let's see if someone else appreciates what you've done. It's also something that I really, really have worked on getting away from that I don't necessarily think is good. (laughs) Um, but I think a lot of people... Uh, in our role do you know you you have an expectation on yourself or an expectation from other people or you get encouraged okay wow you're so good Sebastian <laughs> you're so uh, wow and then you feel so happy that your mother or father or someone else or your teacher say that you get happy about that confirmation external confirmation uh, and then you want it again it's uh, doesn't necessarily need to be wrong but it can also be a drive not to create, but actually get a confirmation. And I think partly that was also in as a child and even 
still, you know, these are patterns that don't just fly away. Yeah. Um, but I work actively and have done for many, many years on, okay, w- why do I do this? Is it to get the confirmation from an audience or is it to get the confirmation from people around me or do I truly want to do this? Is this something that comes from a, a joyful or or a true place? Uh, and? Yeah, and it's still mixed. <laughs> uh, but I think, and it's fine when it's both. I think so too. Uh, but what I think is important is to, you know, because all these patterns are being expressed within us and we are a, a constant expression of patterns. And we, these patterns continue in us and around us. We affect everything we meet and see with the patterns and we get affected by patterns. It's just a, how the whole world connects. But in that, there is something aware of them. Our consciousness experience what's happening right now. And we, if I see like, wow, I do this because I'm afraid of not being approved. And when someone else approve me, I get happy. That's a pattern. That's not what I think is the best way to do things. But when it happens, I don't need to feel bad. Punish yourself. No, it's it's not. I can just, wow, this is a pattern. And I can see it and I can let it happen. And I think the more you do that and actively allowing things to appear within you and see when it happens, you dissolve things that are distracting to you or that hinder you to, to express something that is more natural. So no pattern that we do, I think, is wrong. It's even, you know, if, if you have a very destructive pattern, you're super angry and you even let this anger spread out around you, it's not wrong to actively do that as long as you try to stay aware, uh, aware and, and see it when it happens because that's the moment when we can change. We can't change yesterday, we can't change tomorrow, but when something is active, that's the power of change. And the same in music. It's when it happens, when you experience it, then you get in touch with this awareness that is you. Because you you are the place where the experience takes place. That's your inner, truest, biggest self. Is that something that took you a while to learn? I think naturally when you're a child, that's why I think you're not so philosophical when you're a child, because I think very often we are very connected with that, because that's us. Uh, a really small child can't really define what's the difference of you and me and mom. Everything is happening in an awareness. And uh, my experience is that most people have very strong memories of just being one with what you are doing uh, and really connected with the presence and and then somehow I think for many people we lose that slowly over the years and um, many people get in touch with it again or a longing awakes like you start to feel like wow how is my life and and you start to maybe me- you have a memories from wow hmm and then you start, you long for something, you long for something that is meaningful and true. And it, you start to explore, it can be in music, in art, in uh, spiritual uh, uh, teachings, it can be all kind of different things. And you start to do things and suddenly ah, 
you get in touch with it again. And my experience is that it's not something that someone feel is learned. It's always like, yes, I had this before. It's always a remembering because we can't learn. It's not something new. It's not something that someone can teach you. But you can get a trigger point to actually a little bit just get a reminder like what is what is important. It's that place that is you. So do you think you reached that place more easily when you're playing electronic music versus when you were playing classical music or pop music? I don't think there's any difference <laughs> and and not any reason to really... I don't think we need to analyze what triggers that. Mm-hmm. I think it, it can be really interesting to start to figure out like why why do I why did I happen to do this? Mm-hmm. Like I have synthesizers. Oh, my father had. I did it. It's a story, uh, and it can be a, an interesting story, but it, I don't think it helped me to stay awake and aware. Um, and I don't think it really matters what you do. If you're a journalist or a, you're an electronic artist or if you're a gardener or you're a teacher or you're a mechanic, it's in a way it's you let something take place and you can be an artist in that. The artistry is not to invent something or I don't believe that, that we need to like, wow, I have to design something that no one else heard. I think you should design what comes out and sometimes it's not very unique and sometimes it's extremely unique but it should not come from a need of doing something specific. And if you're a mechanic, suddenly this, I'm, sh- I'm sure I've never been a mechanic, I'm, I'm super bad with cars, but I, I can, it must be moments where you really feel like, wow, everything comes together really perfect and you're in a flow. And that flow is not because of an external situation, it's about your perspective or your approach in that very moment. And it's the same with music. Uh, so if you play a violin, you play a synthesizer. If you loop weird soundscapes or you you write notes on, for a, a big score, for a, I don't see any difference in the actual process of flow in that. So is that moment of flow something that you're always sort of seeking when you're making music or playing music? I think that moment of flow is when I'm here. So when I feel that, it's amazing. Uh, And it's very easy to start to search for it. It's very easy to seek it. But uh, that's the classic more catch-22 in when you talk about flow or meditation or, you know, when you try try to catch it, then it's not longer happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's a lesson that, that a lot of people that work with our creativity have to face that you know you do this album or you do this painting or you have this expi- uh, exhibition and it's just so magical and and you're so f- full of it and then afterwards you can have this post creative depression almost like wow it was so great I need to be there again and then you're not longer in that flow right. you you became the, the thing that wants to have it and your awareness or true self is not that. Uh, in spirit, spiritual uh, teaching, many people call it the, the ego perspective. And I think it's very common that you go out and you want to grasp it again. Or you've been at the dance floor at the club and you had this magical night and you just danced. And then you oh, I need to be there again. 
and that need is very a lot of suffering because it makes you disappear from that place where you happen to be. If it's a Tuesday at work, <laughs> there is also possible to be a flow. And instead of, of trying to to seek it, I think we should allow it to happen everywhere. Not only on stage, not only in the studio. Also when I do my soup. That was not really a soup. <laughs> but but to allow what whatever you do to happen there. And I that's also why improvisation got more and more important for me both in the studio and on stage is that I feel that when I do it like when I really just let improvisation take place that form of art I feel inspire both me and the audience more to actually continue to live like that uh, I don't want to inspire people to be like amazed by something I did I want them to be amazed of the experience they felt. And I want that experience to be a remembering of their true awareness. Because the thing that is aware of that experience, that's you. That's them. That's us. And improvisational music, when I do it, is never really amazing. It's more like it's an amazing place to stay in. If it's a dance floor, it's a more like you invite people to a place where they can explore and get in touch with themselves and take that back into their life and let it continue in a flow in whatever shape that life may take might take so you were talking about having a really amazing experience on on the dance floor can you talk about a particularly influential or sort of formative dance music experience that you had as a teenager yeah it was one was actually quite close to here it's on i think it's just 10 kilometers from here in Rostonga. there is a little it's old monastery that they did a techno party uh, i think it was a whole weekend so you even slept there uh, and i went to a few techno parties before that but there i kind of went the whole way and, and really stayed and danced and uh and that was one of the first times where I really felt, you know, there are many things that were very interesting with techno parties. At that point, it was not so common and I was not really used to the music. So going there, it was also like, wow, this is completely something I didn't hear. So you, only that kind of made me really amazed. Uh, but then to actually dance so long, so you stop thinking about that and having that feeling of just experience taking place uh, I think that was one of the first time and after that I I got really hooked on it <laughs> so I, it was not it was you know we didn't have any techno clubs is that just because you were in a small town <laughs> yeah in 96 we didn't have any techno clubs in Scandinavia maybe I think at that time the first techno club in Stockholm kind of started it was called Docklands but then it was more warehouse parties yeah. and it was a little bit more a little bit bigger events, like and, and people coming from all around, like from Copenhagen, from Stockholm, and people traveled a little bit longer at these times that you went to the parties. <laughs> so I started to go more and more to them, and it was just a switch. I think I was in the third grade at high school, and then I started university. So it was in that era for like two years, or 
went to a lot of parties and traveled around to them. That was kind of the starting point of of that deep feeling that I want. I, I believe the dance is so so healing and important for us. I was going to say, so what did the dis? I mean, maybe not the discovery of dancing, but I guess sort of getting more involved in music that you danced to. Uh, what did that mean for you at the time? In the beginning, I didn't. I didn't put myself as an artist in these places. No, I, I was not a DJ. I didn't make electronic music at all. So I continued to play in the pop band and um, and had other ambitions. Uh, and I just it was purely that I loved to dance. I went to these these parties, uh, and uh, it was a bit later in that. One of my friends who who did uh, arranged and promoted uh, some of these parties asked me to to have a violin session in a chill out. It was this classic parties where we had the main dance room and a really spaced out little chill out, um, which I still believe is really beautiful. Yeah. I love the chill out, uh, and I think that was I, I never pictured myself in actively. It was not that I I I didn't feel a need of being an artist in that situation maybe because i already had another vision for myself and uh, that hindered me to actually see myself being part of the artistic exploration of of the music there but after that concert suddenly that changed and i was like wow i also want to explore kind of making this music so that was a starting point for that maybe 98 i don't remember when that was so I know that dancing is something that's still really important to you, even when you're playing and performing. Can you talk a bit about that? It's interesting when when you meet a lot of artists and people in the what you can what do you call it the dance scene. Yeah. I notice that a lot of people have a, a strong experience themselves from dancing, and I can feel that it's still a, a strong motivation and and drive why they make dance music. But I also meet a lot of people that never really had a dance experience. Maybe they danced a little bit for an hour, but I don't mean, you know, with a dance experience, I mean when you really click and and come over a certain point and just dance. I feel that you can sense that in the music, people that really have a connection with dancing and people who are attracted to make dance music for other reasons. And I think it also creates a very different atmosphere at the dance floor. Uh, if it's really someone that wants people to dance for many, many hours, or if it's someone who who triggers the peaks or the hands in the air or these moments. Uh, and I, I truly believe that all these things are within everyone. So if you're on the dance floor and you let you trust the artist and you let the artist or the DJ kind of guide you on a journey, you will attract different emotions and feelings within people in the dance floor. So as an artist, you have a possibility to to allow different things to be explored within the people. Uh, and I prefer to trigger things that I believe is important and good for the people at the dance floor more than have a lot of hands in the air mm. or a sold out club. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because I think as a journalist, we sort of tend to talk to DJs all the time about music and how it makes other people move, but we don't really talk to, to DJs mm. about how music makes them move. But you dance a lot. 
when you're mm. playing. <laughs> mm. um, so does it get tricky to dance while you're also playing live? Um, there is a, as when you are playing and, and I, I, I play things all the time. I move faders, I loop things, I record patterns on the sequences, I do rhythms with the drums. Like there is always something or like moving volumes, fading slowly filter when something else comes in, something goes out. So I'm a bit occupied with the hands, <laughs> uh, which restricts a certain type of dancing. Mm -hmm. And it, so it becomes a bit more... When I look at myself, I, I think I look quite retarded when I play, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's kind of more a, it's more a pulsating movement, yeah. taking form, because I'm always there with the hands, so I can't really just go away. But the one beauty with this with Circle Live is that you're quite a few artists on stage at the same time, which enables you to take a step back. Right. And that's something I really encourage and remind myself about and the other artists. If you take a step back, don't go and you know, if you need to take a break and, and go to a dressing room, that's fine. But it's also good to take half an hour break or one hour break or two hour break and actually go to the dance floor. And, and because that's when I dance on the dance floor, I always get so inspired. That, and it's always like you, you feel that and then you go home or for me, it's like flying. Mm -hmm. It takes a few days and then I come to the studio and then it's something else that I'm inspired by. You know, it's not... You can't keep that inspiration alive for many days. But here with Circle of Life, you can go out and dance and get really positively triggered and inspired and just go up and let that inspiration take form in something. Yeah, we were saying yesterday that uh, I, I really liked that everybody that was playing at the event on Friday was dancing. It was quite cute to see you guys all jamming together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a cute gang, actually. <laughs> So you first started playing live with mini, when you were playing as Minilog, right? We with Minilog we had a band before that, okay. a group called Songkite. Right. That was from like '98, and that was our main uh, project for many years. Minilog came, kind of, you know, things sometimes take form, and then you can almost sometimes feel a little bit trapped or stuck, like mm. also from the projection and. You know, partly the image you created yourself, but also what other people made it into. Uh, so Minilog was in a way um, a reaction from for us or a place where we didn't need to, we can do whatever we want, you know, it's no one knows what it is. Um, so it became like a second start in a way. And that, and that became something. And so how did the whole idea behind deciding to play live come about? Is it just something that happened naturally? I think it's it was probably f because people asked already in the really early techno parties that were like DJs, but sometimes we were also someone playing live. Uh, so I think within the scene, it was a perspective that existed. So I think it was more like an opportunity or a door that opened and uh, me or us saying yes to that. Uh, in the beginning, it was more... Yeah, we, we didn't know how to play live. How do you play live? Because a lot of, of things you do in the studio is taking form over many days. It's really hard to... That process, just to do it on stage, would be horribly boring. A lot of kick drum, nothing happening. <laughs> um, so it's, I think 
of for me it was that like how can I how can I capture something from the studio environment and perform that in a certain way and how can I what should I add what what elements are of benefit for the musical journey for me to actually do and in the beginning it was more playback and less performing and then during the years it's been a lot of experimenting and exploring and trying uh, which have always kind of worked towards a more improvisational aspect uh, and more of letting the studio and more preparing to be able to explore and, and perform on stage my work in the studio turned out the same way so now it's more like I when I make a song or a track it's, I spend days in the studio and just prepare soundscapes or make melodies on the synths and it becomes like the studio becomes like a little garden and then I take a long break or sometimes for many days sometimes just for an hour and I come back and I just record and I improvise but I have like it's like I have a starting point there is something on everything there is something on each fader and I just play it out and I do loads of different takes on that um, and it's a little bit the same on stage that there is I have small fundaments that I can start from starting points kind of different emotions and different tempos and so what are your live sets like now you're doing a solo project um, which I saw recently at the Patterns of Perception party in Berlin mm. um, can you tell me about this project and sort of yeah I guess what it what it's like playing live solo versus when you were playing in Minilog for example since we stopped Minilog I don't know how many years it's now four five something like that uh, it was in the beginning it was like wow okay because be completely alone on stage mm -hmm. is uh, it's another responsibility because when you're more people you can always take a step back and take a break and let something happen uh, and also I think you can you don't have to to think about the overall journey in the same way uh, you can more just get lost within specific expressions in the music and the performing so what I feel it a little bit like or uh, that's what I really practiced is like there's two different uh, maybe it's a I sometimes say this with a brain halves <laughs> that uh, one is more overviewing in a way and one is more really now uh, and I see one is more like a conductor and one is more like an instrumentalist and I think both how I play live I need both of these different roles or perspectives sometimes I want and, and I don't want I'm, sometimes I'm the musician that just explore something I just play and I get completely lost I don't think about what the next track will be I just play out something and really feel that strongly but then there is something has to happen you know this moment the music has to turn into something else so I kind of practice on just let myself be a musician for a certain time and then step out what's coming next I'm kind of doing the direction being the director uh, and do that kind of journey and then get lost again being a musician and I think when you're more people on stage either you can take turns in this or one role become more like one person do one role more, another person do something else. But when you're alone, you, you 
you have to do that all yourself. And I think some people have very planned life sets. You know, they sit in the studio and you decide what track comes. I think actually most people do that. And then it's kind of you are the conductor beforehand. You you have a plan. And then on stage you don't need to think about being the conductor because it's already it's happening. And you can decide to be the musician and play out different instruments or do things. Uh, Is that what you do? No. <laughs> you choose <laughs> I, the hard way? <laughs> I've, I've done that too, but I, I think especially when I just add things into my life set, when I do new sounds and new sketches and new things, I just add it in so it just becomes bigger and bigger project. I can play longer and longer and there's more and more musical uh, differences within it. And when you don't plan it, you can, of course, do very different journeys. You know, three gigs one weekend can be three completely different ones. It can be one exploring with ambient and taking it into soft techno, and another one is harder and faster. And and needing to always plan these things, I feel I, I don't really like that activity. I prefer to... There is a, a form of planning because I it's more like preparing. I have like music in different keys and tempos and things, but I can choose what to play, when to play. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more like having uh, the flexibility of a DJ. You know, that they can choose any record. Ah, mm-hmm. Let's take it this way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I do it with my music now. I can choose any sketch or any platform or stepping stone that I have started and lead it into something else and that is also in a way make it much 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 more easy to play with other people Mm. because if you have a very formulated or very planned life set where is the room to let someone else be the conductor it will directly be an no but i play this tempo yeah i play this tempo or no but i wanted to go this way and to let that like the let everyone on stage be the conductor. You need to have an openness in the way you play to allow someone else to guide it as well. But is it also sort of daunting that there's so many, that you have so much freedom? For example, writing nonfiction is like you can talk about these things because these are the facts. Yeah. Whereas writing fiction, you know, at the end of your story, a person could fly away on a jetpack or whatever because there's there's so many possibilities. Um, so do you sort of feel like, on the one hand, uh, it's nice to have this freedom, but also it's a little bit like, what do you choose? Because there's so many things to choose from. Mm-hmm. There are still a lot of limitations. So I can't do it in any possible way. Uh, the possibilities kind of always evolve and becomes wider and wider, uh, both in the amount of music I create or sounds and rhythms I create, and also my ability to play in different ways. So it's it's growing, but there are still, you know, I can't do whatever. I don't have so much gear with me. It's still, you know, I don't have all the synths. Or I never felt that. Oh, like that in the studio it's more like that there is of course also limitation but but also when when you play there is of course with circle of light i think with it's great to play anything uh to let you know you can play dance music or ambient etc but there is still an audience that i try to be true i don't want to please an audience uh but i want to create a place where they can stay in so 
just play completely depressing ambient for five hours <laughs> in a big club where uh, that doesn't feel like that moment. It doesn't become an, an expression of this very moment. But in the studio I can do that, you know, mm -hmm. if I feel really melancholic and I just sit and I play on a synth and it's okay to anything to take form. You once said that you feel like you have many different faces and that because your various projects are so intertwined that sometimes when you're playing as Why Will We, Sebastian also comes in. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. I think it's also a little bit functional actually. Like, the, like I make different music and then you, you put a name on it. And that's sometimes it's very weird. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but like, why is this Sebastian Mallard and why is this Why Will We? Um, you have to put the line somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think with Why Will We, it's a little bit also that it's nice to have a project that I don't, you know, I don't need to care about. Uh, it's a little bit of an, a place of exp experimenting for me. Uh, a lot of time when I do uh, I have a request to do a Sebastian remix and I do that and afterwards there's so much sound, you know, I produced so much elements uh, and it's such a freedom just to sit down and just do something completely random or super quick or just do things a bit odd or maybe in a way that oh, this will be very difficult to play, it's just too much bass or the Hyatt is so weird, how can anyone play this? Or, but we were we, I don't really care about that. And mm. I allow myself to do that. And I think that that is a, a place for me to actually take a step away from my patterns and someone can, sometimes can hinder me when I do. Because it's still what we said in the beginning, this expectations or can I do this? Someone asked me for something, why did they ask me? And then what we becomes, I don't care. <laughs> you also said that your live sets are based on improvisations and drum machines. This was in an, in an interview that you did. And I also found an interview of yours that had your kit list on it. And frankly, I knew maybe like two of the words. And currently sitting here, I have no idea what any of these machines do were in his studio right <laughs> now. You don't need that. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about what your live setup is like just briefly? Uh, so it's kind of a combination of an, uh, a computer Ableton setup together with a little analog selection. And I tried to mix these two words, worlds mm -hmm. together. And the kind of the, the fundam fundament is Ableton, where I have all samples I have recorded in the studio, like all sounds I do, all melodies or pads and rhythms. And I record them as small uh, sketches. So I have loads of different sketches and all the sketches uh, are all the sounds that create that sketch are divided into s different channels so a kick drum is on one channel a bass line is on one and a melody on another one etc etc so most of the sketches are between 8 to 12 sounds and it's just short sound loops so not if you put on all the channels it's like a a loop that never changed really or that can be small changes but then I create the whole arrangement live because I can control each uh, channel by itself I can use filters effects um, and then I, I kind of build up a song based on a sketch but to that I then have loads of uh, both software instruments 
drum kits in the computer that I can play and control and record live. Uh, plus synths and uh, sometimes drum machines. I, I bring different things with analog things. I don't have only one selection. And then around the sketch, I improvise. So the sketch becomes my little starting point. And then sometimes I use the, all the sounds in the sketch. Sometimes I only use one little sound and then create a complete new thing around that with the drum kits and the synths and the drum machines. It's more difficult to really change the sound dramatically, mm -hmm. but the sketches can contain sounds that are really produced in the studio, you know, with loads of distortion and effects and layering and looping. So the combination of the things that I can just play out and play in the moment together with atmospheres and, and the sounds that are more carefully produced in the studio. I like this combination. So basically you work within a certain framework when you're playing live, would you say? Yes. I interviewed Erica for this series as well, and she said that sometimes playing material from a release or like patterns of, or a certain sequence um, that are recorded, the arrangement is never the same, and that is what makes it improvisation for her. So like even if she's using the same sort of material every set, it's different in the way that she arranges it. Um, is that sort of what you meant? Or yeah, it's partly. It's both the sketches is really like that because it consists of, but it's never the same. What I put in and when I put in it and how I tweak it. And, but then on top of that, I always kind of create complete new sequences and, and melodies and patterns and and loop them. Uh, them. So I, one big part of, of my live setup is how I can loop MIDI sequences and audio sequences. So it's like within the computer and also with MIDI, I can play, for example, if I have an, an analog synthesizer like a Prophet or a, a 101, I can play it. And then I have something called a push, which is Ableton's kind of control system that I use basically only for kind of looping MIDI. And I can, when I'm playing the synthesizer, I can just press one button and it start to repeat what I played. So I can start to improvise and get into something and then, wow, this is great, but I need to do start doing something else. I can't continue playing that synthesizer all the time. Mm. Then I press loop and it continues and I can still change the sound and the synthesizer and everything and change the filter. Uh, and then I can start playing something else. Uh, I can do a pattern with the Hyatt and then I start to play that and I loop that. So it's kind of a layering different loops of MIDI. But then I, as I have all the sounds on different channels, I also have an external audio loop panel where I then can just loop one little fraction or like one half bar or one bar from something and make it more repeating and then start to tweak that little loop with filters and effects. Um, and all this is really happening without any plan before. So it's a mix of these two words. One with kind of a framework I'll use from and then add something that is just spontaneous on top. So that sounds like a lot of thinking that you have to do when you're playing. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you sort of get in the moment when you have to kind of be planning and thinking about every single thing that you're doing? That's that's the thing. Uh, I want it to be not thinking. Mm -hmm. So I, I really try to be without the thinking. 
and that is more yeah that's uh, where you practice and you you get more and more into it you know uh, that's why you use a specific set of, of gear. You know where the filters are, you know where the knobs are. Uh, you can do things, you know where the loop button is. I, I just play. And I, when I play, I, I try to not be so careful. Like I stopped using headphones. I don't, I don't listen to a melody before I put Ooh. it in. I, I just trust oh. to do it. And if it's not good, you take Just it away. Or like... Oh, and then you take it out a little bit or mm. maybe one part of it was nice and then I just loop that part and put that in a little bit listen to what happens and let it happen not because being afraid of will it be good that's a thought but just doing it and then sensing ah not nice <laughs> away <laughs> or yes good mm. that's just a direct uh, reaction to what is being heard yeah, so I kind of do try to do it, and also sometimes I just take a sound and I just yeah make bang on the keyboard, really random, <laughs> no clue what it is, and sometimes that is a very strong feeling. Like, and very often it's just wow, that's so how how could it be so good? <laughs> it was just by chance. So your I know that your studio setup is even more complicated than your live setup. Can you talk a bit about that? I know that you sort of try to get into this meditative state that we were talking about when you're working in the studio. How is the meditative state in here different than the meditative state when you're on stage? Or is there a difference? Maybe not. Meditation is just to be in that flow that where you have, where you are connected with your, you are the awareness that experience what is happening right now. And that is never changing. So it doesn't matter what you do what you feel, what you think, where you are, that thing that is aware is not changing. Some uh, meditation teachers say like, if you have a screen, like a white big screen, and you project different movies on it, the screen will not be affected by the movie. Mm. But uh, the movie still take place. So if it's the forest is, is burning on the movie, the screen will not burn. And after that movie, another movie, maybe with sunshine and blue sky will come. And the screen is the same. The screen don't mind if a fire is burning or there is a blue sky. That's the moment that take form. And the same here, if it's a busy club or uh, it's a, if I mean the still nature, the I'm still the screen. Mm. And that's like if you are doing a meditation technique, that is like a little guide or a guide or a little a tool into being the screen. The meditation technique itself is not meditation. Meditation is your natural being. I think playing music and performing is also that tool. Dancing is also that tool. When the dance floor is just dancing, we are in meditation. Meditation is not a certain position or a certain level of sound or a certain type of emotions. It's allowing anything of this to actually take place and stay aware and not get attached to the specific thing that's happening, but more let it happen. 
Like if the movie shows a, a, something beautiful, feel how beautiful it is, but not try to tell yourself that, ah, oh, this is what I like. So let whatever happens, happen. Uh, so I don't see a difference in that aspect. Uh, my awareness is still the same, regardless if I'm here or the club. Then it's different situations, and different situations can trigger you differently. Uh, but music and dance is so strong and beautiful tools. Uh, and my wish and my experience say that uh, it happens as much here in the studio, that I'm really one with the music as on stage or the dance floor. So would you say that that takes a lot of trust, maybe not only with your machines, but also with yourselves? Trust is a big, big deal, a big part of it. <clears throat> and I think that's also what happens between an artist and an audience. I think the magic that can be explored and happen is a lot about the trust that is created. Um, and also if you're many artists on, on stage, there need to be trust. Um, when you trust each other and there is a group of people where you actually feel that you can allow everyone to be as they are, then it becomes more magical. But sometimes there is a constellation where you don't feel that mm. and it doesn't have to be wrong. You know, you don't need to be friend with everyone. You don't have to be able to jam with everyone. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a goal or a purpose that we have. Uh, I think it's more important to feel like, wow, here, here is a place where I feel that I can allow myself to be and I trust that whatever I do will not be judged or punished. Then I stay there. And with Circle of Life, that's something I want to... Yeah, that project is kind of like if I'm going to go out and play and I travel around the world and I play at parties, shall I play at the party randomly one hour slot in the middle of the night together with music I don't connect to, uh, with a dance floor that are in a complete another vibe than the place I would like them to explore. Mm -hmm. So Circle of Life becomes more a, a place where I can invite other artists and myself <laughs> and an audience to share something that I believe can be of beauty for all of us. Why is the idea of a jam session, even a solo jam session, so essential for your creativity, would you say? Yeah, it, I think it allows me to, uh, to become present and not, not think myself into a position that I feel that alienated in because sometimes if you plan something and you have to do it you're standing there and it feels like hmm this is a wrong place is but you can't really change it so allowing a more spontaneous uh, approach to what you do it's much easier to actually feel and sense what is happening now and express that so you had the first Circle of Live event at Free Rotation earlier this year. And we also attended the first one in Sweden last night. Was it last night? In Malmö. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit about these experiences? What has it been like watching this project come to fruition? Is it something that you were thinking about for a while before you started doing it? The actual first one was actually here in Rostong. Oh, really? <laughs> so the first official one was at Free Rotation. But I had a little tryout 
here in uh, in Sweden. We had also in uh, our little guest house hotel that I run with my wife, where we had a retreat now the whole last week with all the uh, artists performing at the Inkonst. We just had workshops and jammings. And so I did a very small version of that this spring, so just like two, three days. And it was uh, Christopher, Raphael, uh, Johanna and me, and set it up for two days, the gear. And just to try, like, if how shall we sync? And more that a little bit for me, it was more partly the technical aspects, like what what do I need to think about to make it actually come together? Um, but also for me to explore a little bit, how shall I approach before the gig? Like there are artists coming that maybe just said yes that maybe you know i have been thinking and feeling this a lot you know creating the whole project but some people maybe come and don't really have a clue even though an artist part of it they they heard me talk but they don't not necessarily so aware of exactly what i mean with it so i've been also exploring how shall i approach people so they feel comfortable and relaxed and feel that they because it's easy to build up okay sebastian is creating this project i'm invited oh what am i supposed to do and that can create a stress within an artist so this first one i did here in rostong and in the spring was both to experiment with the technical aspect and the more psychological aspect like how do i approach everyone also mm-hmm. on stage like when people come to sound check there's you know all the small details have an effect on the vibe between the artists so that was the first step and free rotation was kind of the now we're gonna see how it works in in real life (laughs) and how did it go it was so so nice most of the circle of line nights i try to uh, invite that we are three to four artists at both in malmo and free rotation we were six and it's two different things and i'm in a way prefer it a little bit less it becomes quite a lot of uh, yeah it's just a much bigger operation and it's easy that it becomes a little bit too vague in a way it is a little bit too many people it, it becomes harder the more you are when you're three four people it's easier to each everyone to kind of step in and take their turn but in free rotation it was uh yeah, the the real magical thing, you know, everything worked, and I, I think that you could, you could really feel each artist's presence. It was you know, people have very different sounds, and sometimes even within the same moments, the same track, it was you could hear, oh, there's Storisborg, ah, that's very Stevio, <laughs> that's very Matthew, that's very Sebastian, <laughs> within the same song. But also the magical thing, you know, that festival is very special, and we played the last night. I think it was seven hours we played. But to play the last night on such a special place, it was very silent. It was very special. People didn't talk. It was, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunately very rare. Alcohol makes people speak a lot. Yeah. And then some other things also make people speak. But it's so beautiful when when it's silent and people just dance and, and listen. And that happened at Free Rotation. We were talking about, a bit about this yesterday on the drive over here and how you are envisioning having fewer people 
when you do the Circle of Live events, uh, fewer artists on, sta- on stage. So would you say that having, you know, six or seven artists makes it more difficult to somehow get into this presence that you were talking about before? Or is it like you have to build this trust in order to be able to really embrace the kind of here and now of it? Yeah, it, it, it's harder for people to to be very spontaneous, I think, because it's easy that people play a bit too much. I think that's the the most common trap. That is just too much all the time. You don't... And it becomes a little bit liner. People are not adding very much, or not very little, mm. but they add like... It becomes a too much constant flow. So when we are many, I really encourage everyone to really step away and take breaks because so you're not adding your thing all the time. But it's also that the stage, you know, there's having six, seven setups on one stage. Uh, it, it also makes people stand too far away from each other. The audience can't really grasp what's happening. And it's also sound checks becomes uh, extremely long entire day yeah and packing up and and that's not always good for the performance either mm-hmm. you know people use all their energy in yeah. connecting and packing up and then you're almost low when you start it didn't happen was was free rotation was amazing and incos was amazing but i, th- I see a scenario where it can also mm-hmm. turn into being a bit too demanding uh, for me and also the, art- the other artists. The most important thing, thing why I like three, four artists is that I, f- I find that's a good dynamic for improvisation to mm-hmm. take form and everyone to be able, there's still that you can step out, you can take a break, you can still be a different combination like two of mm-hmm. the different artists or three. There's still this dynamic and kind of interesting fusion between the sound of different people, but not so much that you don't really, as an audience, know what's is just what what is this. I think when you're more people, it becomes more important to actually have an experience of playing together, that you actually know each other a bit more. Mm-hmm. While you're three, four, it can be also be interesting when it's very new, like whoa. Right. And so are you thinking about like balancing the different musical personalities? Maybe someone's quite shy and another person is a, more, a stronger personality. Um, is that something you're thinking about when you're picking like the different cast of artists that's going to play with you? Yeah, that's also there's many things behind <laughs> the creation. Uh, and also like now I, I did this music retreat here in Röstunga uh, where I also really tried to work with those things because we were all the six, seven artists here. And the first day we just, I just let everyone jam and everyone jammed at the same time. Uh, and then you could very quickly see personalities take form. This person mm-hmm. is in the background. This person is in the foreground. None of them is wrong. Um, but I think to, to let, to break these patterns are really important. So, uh, at the retreat, I actually just made slots, like one-hour slots, and people could say, "Yeah, uh, I want to jam with that person." So I, I t- people choose themselves and asked each other, like three to four, "Can I jam with you, Stevio?" And, and we, and that can also like doing that on that retreat or jamming for a week 
it helps everyone to actually break these patterns. You're allowed to step forward and you're allowed to play and practice with this person. And then it can happen on stage as well. But in the future, will you have somebody that you've never played with before and you'll just invite them on and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, what what, what do you do? It's a little bit special to invite someone and then not invite them again. <laughs> uh, so I think, and it's not if someone is right or wrong, it just, you know, is our personal chemistry or is our something sparking uh, here. So I think I will, or something I like to do is to invite people here to Röstunga, just one artist at a time, and actually jam together and um, and then you see, like, if it's really, you just see at the world at completely different ways and the music is not connecting, and then I don't see any purpose of, of inviting to a circle of live night. But some people I met a lot, and I heard their music a lot, and I danced to their music a lot, and I think when that happens, I don't need them to jam with them before. Uh, it's a lot about personality as well for me. Uh, it's I, I want to invite people that like to be humble together and appreciate each other without trying to compete or I don't want it to be a competition like who is the best on stage who who takes most presence or oh that person he plays so much and is so good I I don't like to encourage that and that can be triggered of certain personalities if someone is really trying to be the best one all the time that will start this competition game. Uh, so for me, it's essential that it's people that I really connect to and I feel that they can come and give each other a hug and be part of a very warm place. Uh, I would like to see Circle of Live as a warm and friendly environment for artists and audience. So where do you see this project heading in the future? I mean, what are your hopes for how it will change the sort of events that we throw and attend in electronic music? Yeah, I think everything we do have uh, an effect. You know, uh, there are consequences for everything we do. We put things in movement, and I think that's a good way of living. It's just to uh, add something you and contribute with a certain energy that you think is of positive value for everyone and everything and circle of life is a place where i like to be myself uh, if and because i feel that it's a possibility to actually affect people in a good way and when i go to a place like labyrinth or i go to a place like free rotation or there are many other amazing places or i meet a person that i feel is very true and and present i get inspired by that and so it's about inspire and, and let what you do inspire others, but also to put yourself in a place where you can be inspired by someone else. It's not a one-way direction. And that what I really feel is beautiful with Circle of Life is that it is a setting where this interaction and intriguing inspiration can take place, both at, at the party, but also like if you do a music retreat or like even the conversations between the artists, you know, people start to get to know each other. It's, you know, it's a, it's a start, starting point for positive explorations. <laughs> 